You know what always catches me, and, and I, I think this is part of, of, of what made things like camp meeting so powerful and part of what we struggle to understand um, today is, is there's, there's, there's that line in, 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 uh, uh, on Jordan Story Banks. On Jordan Story Banks, I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. There, there's this notion that these early camp meetings had, that these early believers have, this notion that we have forgotten that this world's not our home, that we were, that we were created for and, and bound for something better and something bigger and something more life-giving than even what this world can offer in it. It's been very interesting to see the change in language the last 100 years. Um, I suggested, me and Aaron were talking about stuff the other day, and I, I said, here, check out this book. It's a book I read, I don't know, probably 10 years or so ago. Um, uh, it's called The Death of Satan. And it's an interesting book because it talks about how 100 years ago, after the Civil War, people were expecting things to get better and enlightenment and progress. And the 20th century was going to be the most blissful, beautiful century that the world had ever experienced. And that was the attitude that people moved into the 20th century with. And then you go to the 20th century and you have the Holocaust. And you have a new word called genocide. And you see evil coming in so many ways. And what we've done, though, is we've made things like we've lost the ability. And that's what this book posits, is that we've lost the ability to talk about evil. We've made evil a clinical condition. So, you know, ISIS, all we've got to do to fix ISIS is give them education and jobs. No. When you look at what they're doing to believers in Christ, there's no other word for that other than evil. There is an evil in this world. And this is where I'm going to sound like a crazy preacher, man. I get it. But we wrestle against spiritual forces, against wickedness, against evil. And we've lost the ability sometimes to talk about it. We've lost the ability to articulate the fact that, yes, there is in this world just evil. And there is lurking inside each of us. As James says, when you're led into temptation, don't lay it on God. But your own sinful desires have, have, have stirred up this in you. There's not only evil in the world, but there's often, always evil lurking in our own hearts. And that's why we've got to be aware. You know, I think that fact was driven home to me this week. Uh, it, was a, it was a dark week this week, wasn't it, y'all? Karl Barth, the great theologian, said the preacher should preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. It was a dark week, wasn't it, y'all? The scandals that rocked our nation, rocked our communities. Violence, death played out on live television. Rumors of stories about armed gunmen in Starkville. You know what really messed me up about that one is I realized, whoa, there's more folks I love right now in Mississippi State than there are at Ole Miss. And I'm not, I don't know what to do with that. That hurt me. That was painful. You know? 
And we feel, you know, like I always tell Holly, I've told her this a lot, that uh, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe, this is, this is me, I don't believe that there's more evil in the world today than there was 100 years ago. I don't. I really don't. I think what we have now is we have a social media atmosphere where one thing happens somewhere and it's across the world in a matter of minutes. We've got a, a 24-hour news cycle where there's always something to talk about. And so I don't, I don't really think there's more evil in the world today than there was 100 years ago because Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. Go check out the Old Testament. I mean, there's always been evil. But I don't know, y'all. This week was a tough week, wasn't it? But here's the thing. Statistically... Do you know that there were less murders last year than in the last 20 years based off pure statistics? Did you know that there were more child kidnappings 20 years ago than there were last year? Your kids are safer today than they were 20 years ago. And like the way my parents raised me was they pushed me out at eight and locked the door and said, come back at supper. (laughs) You know, I won't let my kids cross the street without a full bodysuit and a drone following them. You know? But statistically, based off pure statistics, they're safer now than when I was a kid. But we don't know that, do we? Because, see, see, this is what darkness does. This is what darkness and evil do, is they are corrosive and they are blinding and they hide you. Darkness hides goodness. That's what darkness wants to do, is to be a cloak over goodness. And so we see dark weeks like this. We see things like that, and we're often at a loss. Well, what do we do? What do we do in the midst of the darkness? What do we do in the midst of a world that seems to be going mad sometimes? What do we do when it feels like the world is spinning too fast, when we literally don't know which way to go? I think that's why James, man, James gives us some good words this morning. I like what he says in the end of it. He says, true religion is to help widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. I I think James tells us two good things to do in this world. We'll start backwards. The first one, to keep oneself unstained by the world. I get it, I'm a preacher. But what what we have forgotten in our world that our friends in the camp meeting days remembered was this. There's nothing good in me. I am wretched, I am weak, and I am frail. And apart from the grace of God, I stand condemned. We are weak, broken sinners, desperately, dyingly in need of God's grace. Our salvation is not something that we can earn. Our salvation is surely not something that we deserve. Our salvation is simply a gift of God. Here's the thing, y'all. See, Brendan Manning, his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, if you're looking for a book to read, go read The Ragamuffin Gospel. Go find Dan Parker later and tell him to order it for you. The Ragamuffin Gospel. He has this great line in this book where he says this. He says, most of us don't really believe we're sinful. So we really can't believe that we're forgiven. 
So we live lives of pseudo-guilt and pseudo-repentance producing pseudo-bliss. What does that mean? We don't deserve God's love, y'all. One of my professors, Dr. Nick, used to always say, be very careful calling for God's judgment. Because if God ever comes in judgment, we will all find ourselves lacking. We're sinful. Me, you, all of us. By the way, doesn't make you the scum of the earth. Doesn't make you the worst person ever lived. It just means you're human. Congratulations. Welcome to the human race. We're all broken. We all have, as James says, within us this desire to go lick nine volt batteries. I mean, we want to do dumb things. We just do. You give me two choices, I'm going to choose wrong because I'm like that. So here's the thing about God's grace, y'all. The Bible says this. When you were at your lowest, Bible says in Romans, Romans 5, when we were yet God's enemies, Christ Jesus died for us. So in other words, at the moment you did the worst thing you've ever done, at the moment when you were most evil, most wrong, most weak, most frail, at that moment when you were most unlovable, It was at that exact moment that Christ died for you. When you understand that when you were most unlovable, that was the moment that Christ loved you the most, it will change your life. God's love is not something you can earn. Let me say that again, church. God's love is not something that you can earn. So here's the thing. If God's love is not given to you based off your actions, like if God does, if God's love is not something that you can do enough stuff to make him love you, that's true. If that's true, then if nothing can earn God's love from you, nothing can cause you to lose God's love either. God does not love you because you're a good person. And he doesn't hate you because you messed up. He loves you because you're his. He loves you because he made you. He loves you because you're made in his image. And he loves you and wants to redeem you. He wants to reach down. I was sinking dead in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained with sin, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me. I didn't lift me. My own goodness didn't lift me. My own wisdom didn't lift me. My own strength didn't lift me. But love lifted me. At my lowest is when love was the strongest. Avoid sin, y'all. Sin is destructive and it is corrosive and it destroys lives. And it destroys families. Max Lucado once said, the reason why God hates sin so much, and yes, God hates sin. The reason why God hates sin so much is because it destroys his children. God loves you, y'all. Think about it as a parent. How many of you want to see your kids make poor choices? None of you. I don't. So, are you upset or worried or confused or whatever when your kids make poor choices? Well, yeah. That's what sin is to God. 
when your kids mess up, you don't love them less. You just want them to not hurt. That's what sin is to God. He just didn't want you to hurt. That's what any good father would feel towards his children. So he says, so James says here first, be unstained by the world. By the way, I mean, I like that word he uses, unstained. I have this um, spiritual gift called clumsiness. And I love coffee. Amen? Amen. And so you add coffee plus clumsy, you get a mess. So I have learned the art of removing stains from various things. And unstained is this. You spilled something and you get the stain out. Unstained does not mean spotless. God is not, does not want, expect, or believe that you can be sinless because you're human. This is not about being perfect. This is about letting the grace of God be like that rug devil. Scrubbing in deep. Sussing out the sin. Pulling it out. Is sussing a word? You're from Paris. You know if it's a word or not, right? I think it's a word. Somebody Google that later. Um, huh? We use words that big in forest. Getting the sin out. God does not expect you to be perfect. He expects you to be available. So avoid sin. Avoid the things that are destructive. Don't go looking for trouble because trouble will find you. Don't go looking for trouble. Trouble will find you. But understand that his love does not come based off your actions and is not lost based off your actions. His love comes because of who he is. So first, be unstained by the world. Secondly is this. Take care of widows and orphans. Y'all, it isn't just enough that we avoid doing dumb things, which is a good start. You got to do something for somebody. Does your faith feel dead? Like seriously, does your faith feel apathetic, dead, not even alive? If so, let me ask you this question. When was the last time you did something for somebody just because? Not to get something out of it, not for praise, not for attention. When was the last time you did something for somebody just because? If your faith feels stuck, if your faith feels broken, if your faith feels alone, if your faith feels worthless, do something for somebody. It isn't just enough that we stop doing wrong. We got to start doing good. There has never in the history of the world been a time when the world needed the church to be more the church than now. In a world that's scary and terrifying and worrisome and all this stuff, this is when the church, the world needs the church to be the church, to take the good news and the grace and the love of God to a dying world. It was love that lifted me. It is love that will lift the world. The love of Christ made known through me and you. It's so tempting. I tell people, I don't, I don't, I don't just want to like homeschool my kids. I want to like home college my kids. You know, I don't want to let them out into the world. I want to keep them close for I feel like I can protect them. Y'all, we got to go. We got to go into that world. If the church withdraws her light from the world, 
what light will there be? We cannot pull back from the world, y'all. We have to run into the world with the light of Christ as our guide. It isn't just enough that we within our own lives stop and avoid sin. It's that we've got to go out in the world and take the good news with us and do something for Jesus. The world needs us to be the church. Not a collection of perfect individuals because there is no perfection. In fact, sometimes the most freeing thing in your life is to understand your imperfections. Because when you understand that you're imperfect, you understand that you haven't earned it. And it's truly a gift that cannot be taken. You're loved not because of what you've done. You're loved because of what he has done. And no matter how bad you ever blow it, nothing's ever going to take that. We've got to take that message to this world, y'all. We've got to take that myth. This world in the midst of darkness, in the midst of fear, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of all the stuff going on. The world needs us to take the good news of Christ to the world now more than ever. The world is not changed by morality. The world is not changed by good works. The world is not changed by any of these things other than that song we sang. Love lifted me. So let's go out there, y'all. In just a few minutes, the light of Christ is going to lead us out to a world that may seem dark. It may seem scary. It may seem overwhelming. It may seem like we can't do anything with it. And maybe we can't. Yeah. Maybe there's nothing we can do. And that's why it's not about us. And that's why it's not up to us. It's about Jesus. So today, may we know the depth of his love for us no matter what. And may we live out that love in the midst of this dark world. And may his light triumph over all. Let's pray.